0: Super Talk, Mississippi Media Production.
1: Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
0: Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: And welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday Eve. <laughs> the uh, last Friday Eve before the primary elections here in the great state of Mississippi. And it just seems like the fireworks are are being uh, tossed about quite a bit. The fiery rhetoric from the candidates as they uh, seek election. We go to the ballot box, the precincts, and cast our ballots next Tuesday. So the Secretary of State... Wright has a site where you can preview the ballot, find out all the particulars, the details about where to vote for you. MyVotingDay.com, my is that it? MyVotingDay, something like that? That sounds right. I, uh, I haven't personally gone to the site, but I've heard the Secretary and other representatives discuss it. But we need to get that and make sure we know. But it it is, uh, I think, a new feature, a new tool that the Secretary has introduced. If they're listening, they could let us know. And uh, it tells you everything you need to know about voting, right? Including a sample ballot. Because I see a lot of people ask, where can I see a sample ballot? And I believe that is all available at that site. Uh, let's see if we can find it. Well, but that's coming up and you can locate your, yeah, your polling place, view a sample ballot, track your absentee affidavit ballot, view your current, my election day, my election day, pardon me. I said voting day, I believe. So my election day is where to go. And I'm, uh, I'm looking at it right here. It's pretty cool. You go to the Secretary of State. It's not myelectionday.com. No, that's right. It's it's just a link. I shouldn't uh, clarify that. It's just a link on the Secretary of State uh, website, which is sos.ms.gov slash y'all vote is where I found it.
1: Yeah, if you just go to the Secretary of State's website, sos.ms.gov, and click on the y'all vote button at the top, and then scroll down in the middle... The bottom red button says my election day.
2: Yeah. So that's how you get there. That's how you do it. And you can find out all about it right there, see what your your ballot looks like and really just learn all sorts of other stuff uh, about your particular voting information. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So that's coming up. And wonder how it's looking? Any ideas? Any thoughts? Hard to tell. You're not saying anything. (laughs) You're thinking about it. (laughs) It doesn't seem like there's been a whole lot of
1: movement from the campaigns as far as their voting base. Yeah. It seems like 80 to 90 percent of the people that are going to vote have made their mind up.
2: I think that's right. You think there's any, you don't think there's a lot of undecided at this point? No. Well, I know that uh, yesterday, I think I talked about this political event that occurs the first Wednesday of every month. It's been going on four or five years now in Madison County. It's called The Grip and Grin. Bruce Bartley, the organizer of that event. And I'm told there were 200-plus people in attendance. My daughter attended. And my daughter, being the school teacher, of course, former school teacher at least, now works for the Secretary of State. I uh, took copious notes, and she called me yesterday with a uh, comprehensive briefing of the affair. And so, Senators Cindy Hyde Smith and Roger Wicker did speak very briefly. Senator Hyde Smith wanted the crowd to know that Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman is indeed pro-life and has the support of pro-life organizations. I believe she said that to address the concerns that have have been uh, distributed, have been promoted by the McDaniel campaign that the Lieutenant Governor was affiliated with a clinic that performed abortion services. And and so she came out and said that. Senator Roger Wicker in, encouraged everyone to, to vote, get out and exercise their right to do so. Senator McDaniel delivered, I think, what are his rather traditional remarks to the crowd. And then Lieutenant Governor Hoseman, who was at least announced as scheduled to to speak, it turns out was unable to attend, but rather was at, I think, the groundbreaking, the ribbon-cutting, whatever the event was for Steel Dynamics, that was the big economic development project that received some financial incentives, as I recall, in a special session. Remember that last year, Rhino? They uh, called the legislature together to take care of that. I believe that occurred in a day. This is uh, a the really, aluminum mill. Right. Really nice project for the Golden Triangle area. I don't remember the number of uh, employees it expected to bring on, but six, seven hundred, something like that. At a considerably high compensation, average compensation, as I recall, which was just good news for the area and for the state. But nonetheless, that's where the lieutenant governor was. And Senator Daniel Sparks, just on the program last week from Tishomingo County, Belmont, he spoke on his behalf. It was reported that some in the crowd booed as the senator Approached the podium there. I I don't I really can't say. I hate I hesitate to speculate why they booed. I don't know if they were booing him, booing the fact that the lieutenant governor who was scheduled to speak did not attend. I don't know. Here's what I th- believe though at this point to your point of the 200 plus people in the room. You think anybody in there is undecided? No. Especially considering that typically those who attend those events, they're very engaged politically, right? So they've they've made their mind up, and uh, they know who they're going to cast their ballot for. So I, I don't know that it made a difference.
1: I mean, I think there are people in this world, especially in the United States, that when an election comes up, they tune everything out until maybe 24 to 48 hours before a voting day, election day, and then they just show up and vote Yeah, with their gut. I think that's right. Everybody else that thinks about it or researches it or stays plugged in, they've had their mind made up for weeks, if not months, at this point.
2: I think, I think you're absolutely right. So uh, I did, by the way, while you were speaking, appreciate that, I did uh, go ahead and log on to the Secretary of State site. To my election day, the link there, y'all vote, and then is the link on the on the splash page, right? Yes, yeah, the get, very top. Yep, yeah, and then you get to a link you'll see in the center of that page. That scroll down a bit, I believe, uh, depending on the size of your monitor, your display. My election day, I did, and I. You have to enter your address. Of course, you have to tell it where you live. It's just your zip code, isn't it? No, you have to give it your specific address because, okay. yeah, I know. Like in my neighborhood, for example, uh, my neighborhood, even though it's same zip code in a, a, a single development, if you will, the the representation is different inside the neighborhood. There's a piece of it that falls into a different state senate district than does uh other areas so that's sort of interesting i thought um, now i'm looking at my ballot i'm missing something here uh i don't see my state senator why is that i don't see a state senator listed on my ballot uh, maybe i just missed it somewhere i'm looking down the ballot In order, Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Secretary of State, Attorney General, State Treasurer, Commissioner of Agriculture, Commissioner of Insurance, State Auditor, Public Service Commissioner, Transportation Commissioner, District Attorney, State House of Representatives, and then it skips to the Sheriff. What's going on here? I don't see the Senate. I don't see a a, uh, a place to vote for a state senator. I'd find out about that. Check yours out though, folks. Hopefully you got the information you need there to do it. I suggest you take a look, and you'll know everything you need to in advance of going to the polls next Tuesday. We're coming right back. We've got Tanner Newman, candidate for Northern
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this on Super Talk, Mississippi. Let's
2: everyone. It is middays. We are in the Element Well studio. Sorry, I went a little long bumping out of the last segment. Repeat. Tanner Newman, candidate for the Northern District Public Service Commissioner. He will be on the program in the next segment at 10.37. Just wanted to pass that on. Also, I have unlocked the mystery as to why I don't have a candidate for... that? Because I'm represented by a Democrat. Well, that'll do it. Yep, and I selected the Republican ballot. So I selected the Democrat ballot for my address, and I found it. And I should have known that. There was some, uh, some, some changes about that. So this is because there's a sliver of my neighborhood. This is weird, where I live. And it's like literally three or four of us there in those houses. We're in a different Senate district than the one two houses down on the same street. And so Senator John Horn is my senator. Uh, it hasn't always been that way. There's, there's been some, some craziness there. But nonetheless, and I did check that the precinct that I am assigned, that has changed since the last time I voted, according to what I'm seeing here on the Secretary of State's website. I'm a little surprised at that. But I'll go there and show them my ID and cast my ballot. Somebody did ask, where can I find my Senate and House district maps, allowing me to align my address with my voting districts? I would suggest going to the uh, Secretary of State site where we are, and, and then go into the My Election Day that we just discussed, entering your address. And it'll tell you. There's also a, um, a link there to show your office holders. And, of course, the, the sample ballots themselves show the districts that apply to your address. You can select a party, Democrat or Republican. It will display the full ballot for you. And, of course, this is a primary, not a general, so it would only list candidates who are registered to run for office uh, associated with the specific party whose ballot you requested the system to display. So when you do that, you can also check your office holders as well, your current office holders. There's a couple of good links, and that's under the, the category of jurisdiction information. It displays the county, the precinct, the county polling place, even directions embedded in that particular screen. So it turns out I've got a county polling place. I'm just looking at it and a municipal polling place. I wasn't even aware of that. You have two different ones. Did you know that? I, but my county that doesn't sound right. My county polling place is different. Then my municipal polling place, looking at the site here, displays two addresses, two, two maps. And so I'm wondering...
1: I mean, with all due respect to the Secretary of State, it is a government website, so take it with a grain of salt.
2: <laughs> well, I'm curious which one I go to next Tuesday, because this is... how does that work? This is neither a municipal nor a county, I guess. Well, there are some county candidates on the ballot. But I've always gone to the location listed as the county. No, pardon me. The municipal. The municipal precinct. That's where I've always voted. But I see a county polling place. I've never been there before. And they're you know, a mile apart maybe. This is interesting. So that could stand some clarification. I'm literally not sure which one to go to next week. It's because there are two that uh, would apply. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure, honestly. Interesting. The, uh, but there are county uh, offices. Yeah. We're voting for, I think this is across all our counties, right? Chancery clerk, circuit clerk, tax assessor, tax collector, county attorney, supervisor, justice court judge, constable. I believe those races are being conducted in all counties. So I ain't really sure which one to go to. No big deal. I would
1: imagine if you live within city limits, you go to the city, and if you don't live in the city limits, you go to the county.
2: You think that's what that means? Okay, well, I mean, basically. it's the
1: only logical explanation I could think of. Then what? again, it is
2: government, so you can't apply a whole lot of logic. Well, I mean that that sounds logical, but I, I didn't know if it was related to the offices being voted for, municipal versus. Town. Surely not. I guess not. But it knows though that I'm in the city based on my address. It it would know are you inside the incorporated lines of a city, right? Versus just outside those lines in the county, but it displayed both, which is a bit bit confusing. So we're back to my original point. It's a government website. <laughs> well, maybe the uh, maybe secretary or somebody from his office can let us know. I'll see what I can find out for us folks on that. Uh, but I certainly encourage you to take a look at that. Let's see what does Mark from Gulfport here say? If your city holds a standalone election, then they have a separate location. Okay. Is that, is that what that means then, Mark, you, in your view, that the uh, site listed as the municipal polling place? That's what that would be? Because I got to tell you, that's the site where I go to vote for President of the United States. So I'm not sure that that squares with that theory. Hmm. Interesting. Karen in Oxford says, you can also call and ask your county clerk. I believe that would be true as well. They're, my experience has been that they're always very helpful in that regard. But enough on that. I suggest you go to the, most people I think no, but if you, if you need to see the ballot in advance, I just as I did, and uh, on me for not realizing that I, I have a Democrat senator and a Republican House member just based on the way the districts are drawn. And again, it's a sliver of my street there that falls into the separate district from the one adjacent to it, which is held by a Republican. That's kind of interesting. Josh and Clinton says, I live in Clinton. My polling place for municipal elections is different from county and state elections. I got to tell you, guys, I've always voted the same place. How about you? Yeah, when I'm not voting absentee. Right, I've always voted the same place, and I vote in those elections as well. So again, I'm making the point that when I voted in in 2020, which included a, a huge ballot, I voted at the same place that I voted for governor in 19. This the last cycle to correspond with the present cycle statewide election. So it's interesting, but. That's probably why, let's see, in Itawamba, Itta- in this is on the c tax line, in Ittawamba County, there is no state senator race on my sample ballot either. That's probably why mine ain't showing either. Yeah, so check it out. Um, if you look at the sample ballot there, select the the other party and see if it displays. And that's what I did. And as soon as I saw it, I said, yeah, I should have known that. <laughs> it's a primary. It's not a general election. It's a primary. Let's see. In regards to, on the ceasefire tax text line, the candidates for lieutenant governor, can you give a brief synopsis of their positions regarding the ballot initiative process? I I can, and I I think we can accurately represent this rhino because we've talked to both of the candidates about it and we've heard them speak about it and, in fact, discussed it again at the Neshoba County Fair with the candidates last week when we were broadcasting the program from Founders Square. So the... The, the senator, Chris McDaniel, I'll start with him, he supports re, uh, restoring the ballot measure process to effect statute, not the Constitution. That's one key distinction from what presently exists in our state law. We, we don't have a methodology, a mechanism that would allow citizens to place a measure on the ballot to create law. We only have a, a program that would allow citizens to place a measure on the ballot to amend the Constitution. Uh, but the big sticking point, honestly, and the, the big distinction that's that's uh, between the House and the Senate, and in this case between Senator McDaniel and Lieutenant Governor Hoseman, that, that's really been the sticking point that's kept... The ballot measure from from, uh, being reactivated and restored into our law are just the number of signatures that have to be collected to validate a measure. Present state law says 8% of the number of voters in the last gubernatorial election. That comes out to be about 105%. What originally was uh, wanted by... The lieutenant governor and many in the Senate was 12% of the vote registered voters. Then they backed down to 8%. That's where they landed. It's about a 50,000 signature difference. That's the main sticking point. The main distinction. Coming right back with Tanner Newman, candidate for public service commissioner.
0: Midday's with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Middays. We are live from the Element Well Studio. We appreciate you joining us today. We welcome to the program Tanner Newman. He's a candidate for the Northern District Public Service Commissioner Office. Hey, Tanner, how's it going today?
3: Gerard, good morning. It's great. Thanks for uh, having me on this morning. We are joining you uh, from Tupelo. We just wrapped up our final uh, campaign stop in Tupelo. Uh, and headed straight over to to join you. So thanks for having us. Uh, Looking forward to the visit. You
2: bet. So tell us a little bit, uh, Tanner, about your background and uh, what was your motivation to jump in this race for Northern District Public Service Commissioner?
3: Absolutely. look, I was born in Tupelo, raised in rural Etiwamba and Lee Counties, Uh, and you grew up uh, kind of helping good people get elected uh, to office. I frankly never thought that I would uh, be a candidate myself, Uh, but I realized back in January when Commissioner Presley announced his run for governor that, you know, I've spent my adult life uh, working to solve the problems facing North Mississippians. Uh, First as a constituent liaison with the U.S. Senate, where I fought the bureaucratic red tape uh, to provide our veterans and educators with the resources that are available to address their needs. Uh, And then as the director of development services for the city of Tupelo, uh, where we, over the last two years, have reformed the city's building regulatory uh, department, making municipal services more uh, accessible and more efficient for the people of Tupelo. Uh, And so when Commissioner Presley announced his uh, run for governor, I realized that uh, this was uh, an opportunity uh, to take the work that I've spent my life uh, doing here in Tupelo, in Northeast Mississippi, uh, is a way to uh, address the problems facing all of North Mississippi. Uh, Personally, I believe the Public Service Commission's role, outside of its uh, statutory, uh, you know, regulatory uh, authority, uh, the the role is to be an advocate for the people. Uh, And I am asking the people of North Mississippi to be their advocate.
2: Are there any particular challenges, Tanner, that you that you see presently or on the horizon that you would address as a uh, public service commissioner?
3: Absolutely, Gerard. Look, uh, over the last six and a half months, I have traveled uh, the 33 counties in North Mississippi, and uh, you know the reality is each uh, county, each town, uh, municipality, we all have uh, issues that are specific to. Uh, our uh, unique uh, you know situations uh, such as you take Holly Springs for instance and in the municipally owned electric department uh, and the issues we're seeing there uh, you take uh, Pontotai County for instance you have uh, an entire neighborhood uh, who uh, does not live within a certificated water district uh, and so they have they don't have access to any water uh, these issues uh, are are real and they are going to take Working together uh, to solve these problems, and it's going to take the commission working with the legislature, state legislature, and the federal delegation uh, to finally solve some of these uh, these haunting uh, issues that are uh, that average Miss- northern Mississippians are facing. Uh, I have uh, spent my adult life working with uh, the legislatures, building the relationships uh, with them. Uh, and I will take those relationships to the Public Service Commission to uh, address uh, the needs of North Mississippi. Okay. Now, you've got
2: uh, one opponent, right, in the primary. Is that right?
3: That's right. You know, Gerard, this race uh, is kind of unique uh, when, you, when you think about it. You've got an open seat in a 33-county uh, district, uh, and there's only two candidates, both candidates in the Republican primary. Uh, this uh, race will be over Tuesday night. Uh, so for the first time in history, a Republican will represent North Mississippi on the Public Service Commission.
2: Mm-hmm. How would you, Tanner, distinguish yourself from your opponent? What What are the key differences there?
3: Well, I'll tell you, I, I've, known, uh, I've known my opponent uh, practically all my life. And we've worked together on a lot of things and, and worked together on uh, campaigns to get uh, our friends elected uh you know i entered this race um, in late january and of course my opponent uh, came along uh, after the fact uh but you know i respected the fact that uh, you know he and i discussed it before he qualified he reached out uh discussed kind of his uh kind of where he was with you know retiring from the house and uh you know shared with me his considerations uh on potentially running and i told him i said chris hey i've already made my mind up i'm mean, in meant it to win it uh, and I'll respect whatever decision that you make. Uh, over the last uh, six months, this race uh, has remained clean. When I entered the race, I said, uh, you know, we're in this to win it, and uh, we're gonna run a clean, positive campaign. And I can sit here today and tell you that we ha- have maintained that uh, promise. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's about getting things done. And uh, if you want me to specifically say, uh, what is the main difference between uh, you know, my opponent, myself, I would say I have a history, a clear record uh, of working together uh, with everyone involved, specifically, take for instance, my role with the city of Tupelo. Uh, We have worked with the county, the state delegation, and the federal delegation to address some major issues over the last two years, uh, and finally solved some of the major problems that were facing Tupelo for decades. Uh, That is the uh, leadership. I will take the Public Service Commission. Uh, I often say on the trail, you can't be against everything. You've got to be for something. Uh, and I'm for North Mississippi, and I'm for working uh, with everyone involved to, to solve the problems facing North Mississippians.
2: Gotcha. So how, how's the campaign been going? You've been getting around the district, meeting with folks. What are they telling you?
3: Absolutely, Gerard. Look, uh, you know, this is, this race, I believe, kind of flown under the radar uh, for a lot of people. Uh, especially when you look at Lieutenant Governor's race and, and how that's uh, kind of, uh, I guess, outshined everyone else. Uh, but I can, I'll tell you, I've been traveling across North Mississippi now for six and a half months uh, to the leave of absence from the city of Tupelo back the 1st of May uh, to solely campaign. Uh, and so I'll say I would not have done that. I would not have gone uh, three months without a paycheck if I was not uh, in it to win it, was not willing to put in the work uh, to be successful on Tuesday night. Uh, Look, we have been very fortunate. Uh, Our campaign has received the endorsement uh, of the Mississippi uh, Realtors Association, the Mississippi Automobile uh, Dealers Association, and the Mississippi Home Dealers Association. Uh, And of course, numerous uh, mayors and uh, legislators throughout the state. Uh, This race, uh, you know, you can't do it alone. And we've been very fortunate to build a strong coalition uh, hard-working Mississippians across these 33 counties, uh, and we are cautiously optimistic entering uh, to, into the election on Tuesday.
2: So, having worked uh, at the city of Tupelo, uh, Tanner, what about uh, the mayor, Todd Jordan? Is he uh, indicated that he supports you?
3: Well, I'll tell you, uh, mayor, I ran Mayor Jordan's campaign uh, when he uh, ran for mayor, uh back in 2021 and he certainly had my support and he has been very uh clear that uh i have his support uh, actually i believe he was uh, my first endorsement back in january uh in the uh daily journal so uh yes you know the mayor's been very supportive and uh, certainly very appreciative uh, of that support and not only the mayor but the city council i mean you know for uh them to uh you know encourage me to seek uh, this office and Uh, their support throughout the last six and a half months and for them to allow me to temporarily step away to uh, pursue this journey, uh, you know, that means a lot and uh, I've been very fortunate to have uh, their unanimous support.
2: Tanner, do you feel like your experience working there at the city positioned you better for this job as PSC commissioner than uh, Representative Browns having served in the state? Um, House of Representatives, is, is there something that maybe is giving you better insight into uh, the, the job role itself?
3: Uh, frankly, yes, I do. Uh, you know, over the last uh, several years in my role with the City of Tupelo, I, you know, I uh, ran the city's building regulatory uh, department, and frankly, overhauled the department. Uh, having worked in municipal government and having worked with the water and light department for the city of Tupelo, uh i have a unique understanding of how these things operate uh and you know the logistics behind why the public service commission does not have authority over municipally owned uh, utilities and you know we could go into a whole conversation about that uh you know we're operating on outdated uh, laws and regulations and Frankly, it's time uh, for an overhaul of how we regulate utilities in the state. Uh, I have been calling for that uh, for six months now, and I will continue to call for that uh, as as a member of the Public Service Commission. Uh, and I'll tell you, Gerard, I won't sit here today and pretend to have all the solutions, uh, but uh, before you can implement a solution, you've got to acknowledge the problem. Gotcha. Uh, and it's time that we, we step up and uh, acknowledge that uh, we need
2: for reform. Got you, Gotcha. Tanner, appreciate you coming on today and talking about your campaign. Good luck to you next Tuesday.
3: Gerard, appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have okay. a good day. Yes, sir.
2: Tanner Newman, candidate for Northern District Public Service Commissioner, coming right back.
0: Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert.
4: Keep rolling. Three, two, one.
0: On Super Talk Mississippi.
4: Stop take the clock at three.
2: They're right on where they wanna be and four and five just Welcome back everyone. Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. We are in the Element Well studio. So the video you showed me, you showed me two. Rhino always entertains me after the show a bit. And uh it finds these very uh <laughs> very interesting videos, shall we say. Uh one that I'll start with that I want you to describe for the audience is a runner of a runner. Right? So it, it made the main line, the mainstream oh, yeah. as well. And there's video that you showed me yesterday. I tell you, we're always ahead of the game here.
1: Yeah, it's the uh, hundred meter dash. I think it's being held in China. It's not uh, one of those world qualification events, and the country of Somalia did not send a hundred meter runner or sprinter that had any training or seemingly qualifications. Instead, the person in charge of picking the athletes decided, you know what? My niece needs to run in this. So everybody that's ever wanted to see what it looks like in, say, an Olympic sport, like track and field, like the 100-meter, where you have the highly trained, uber-athletic individuals that have spent countless hours and sacrificed so much to be at the tippy-top peak of physical performance competing against somebody like you or me with very little or no training, and they, they get down in the blocks, starting gun goes off, and most of them are out like a gun, just going. Meanwhile, the Somalian runner looks like they're running in place compared to the others.
2: And I think the winner... It took, it took them 21 seconds to run it. What was it, 100 meters? Yeah. 21 seconds. And so the winner was like nine seconds or something. Oh, yeah. The the winner was already in the
1: cool-down portion of their run by the time the Somalian had finished the race.
2: Jeez, Why subject yourself to that? It's kind of sad. I mean... say you did it? Yeah. I mean, because this is related to some royalty or something, right? Something like that. Yeah. uh, The niece of... I'm looking at it here. Uh, Let's see. It was reported she is the niece of the chairwoman of the Somali Athletics Foundation. Khadija Aiden Dayer. I may have mispronounced it. That's interesting. Crazy.
1: Yeah, they uh, talked about it a little bit yesterday afternoon on Sports Talk, and there was a – I don't think they had seen the video. They'd just seen the reporting. Oh. Because there was a conversation about whether or not Haydad – could could beat her in a hundred meters <laughs> and then during the transition from sports talk to thunder and lightning on the radio I, I was like have you seen the video he was, no send it to me so I sent him a DM and he pulled it up and he goes oh I'd smoke her <laughs>
2: I don't think that's anything to brag about there though Brian. <laughs>
1: I (laughs) joked with him that if she was going at about the pace, we could
2: have done a three-legged race with me and Hey Dad and still probably been competitive (laughs) with her. Jeez, not something you expect to see. The other video that Rhino shared with me, it just aired on the Business Channel here in the studio. I I told Rhino about it over the break, so they're showing it now. And this was a, a bit of an incident in a convenience store in Stockton, California. Yeah, the
1: video starts with a guy behind the counter with a big trash can <laughs> dumping cigarettes and cigarillos and everything else he can. Although he was avoiding the vapes, I noticed. <laughs> he was going through the
2: coolers, though, and opening them
0: up and just oh, yeah. pushing just, the just drinks down. Just pulling everything
1: out. he could out into the trash can. And the guy filming, or it seemed like the guy filming, maybe it was somebody standing next to him, was saying, Oh, you can't do anything don't worry about it, Did you, do you have insurance, file it on your insurance, you can't do anything until the cops show up. <laughs> file it on insurance. And then one of the guys working in the back grabbed the perpetrator by the wrists, while the other guy used a broomstick or a big wooden it's pole. It's pretty
2: big, it's like oh, four, yeah. four inches or so in diameter. To start
1: whooping on the perpetrator. <laughs> God, dog. And the I guy mean, filming or the guy commentating, whichever one it was. quickly changed his tune from oh there's nothing you can do to (laughs) whoop is you know what
2: whoop him I'm telling you it was relentless was it not I mean it's just amazing that they just just kept on it wouldn't stop apparently it is a cultural thing
1: from the Indian subcontinent which the proprietors of the convenience store I believe were Sikh which is a religion that comes from the Indian subcontinent apparently it's a prescribed punishment To use a wooden pole. In fact, there are pictures and videos of police officers from India that aren't carrying a gun, aren't carrying pepper spray or tasers. They're just dispersing a crowd with
2: a big wooden stick. You, uh... You introduced the video to me before you, you set it to play by saying, you know, the Sikh are really passive, right? <laughs> Not all of them. <laughs> it comes up and they're beating them. It's time for Fox News, Super Talk News. We're coming right back. We got Don Redman with AAA at 1220.
0: Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines. And join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state.
2: Welcome back, everyone. It is Hour 2 of Middays. We are live in the Element Wealth studio on this Friday Eve. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to MyElementWealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. And once again, folks, a reminder... Sign up for that Supertalk news newsletter, supertalk.fm slash newsletter. That's how you get it. And it's incredibly informative, and you need to be informed because we've got elections next Tuesday. And the folks in the news department are doing a bang-up job keeping us current and informed. And if you don't vote, you don't have a voice. So make your voice heard. Vote in the upcoming primary elections Tuesday, August 8th, bring your voter ID. We had somebody say that they on the 662 didn't, they also checked their ballot. I was just talking about that in the last hour. I checked mine and noticed that I didn't have a a ballot, uh, included on the ballot was not a place to vote for a senator, a state senator. And that's because I selected the Republican ballot. And though my House Rep is a Republican, and there's a race, obviously, that's more important, for um, a Republican in the primary, for State House in my district. There is not one for Senate. I am represented, I, I should say, by Senator John Horn. So there's nobody opposing him as a Republican. That's what that would indicate. Senator John Horn, of course, a Democrat, mainly represents Jackson. But where I live there in Madison County, the little sliver of my neighborhood, that's just the way that districting works out. You know, they get, they get kind of creative. And there's three or four of us in the back of the neighborhood where I live on a cul de sac that fall into the Senator, District Senator Horn, that is. And right up the street, Senator Walter Michelle is the state senator. That's just the way it works out you just didn't typically wouldn't think about that in a in a neighborhood single development plus it's really really big And mine's reasonably large but it's not that big uh that's fine I find that a bit intriguing I mean they got to draw the line somewhere that's right. I guess you just don't think about right in the middle of a neighborhood, maybe a little unusual, maybe not, and I did check on. My polling location actually had a text exchange with my daughter down at the Secretary of State's office, and she's checking on it. She said that she thinks that maybe the site that I've been voting at, which is a church listed as the municipal site, I I shared earlier I have two listed polling places. One that's styled, labeled as county, and one that's labeled municipal, but I've always only voted. At the latter, she thinks maybe they're not participating as a precinct this year, which would make sense. And so maybe that's why they're still listed. But she's going to go upstairs, is what she told me, and talk to somebody down at the Secretary of State's office. But we had somebody that texted in and said, I checked both ballots and didn't see a candidate. You see that for yeah. senator? So. One thing I can
1: think of is if
2: they're running unopposed. Well, that could be. I didn't. Th- but Senator Horn is on mine. He's running unopposed as a Democrat, right? So I, I don't know. So I simply uh, suggested that they call. Maybe a they're only court. Left,
1: off if, left off if they're unopposed. Throughout the entire process, primaries and general. Well,
2: that could be. I'd, I'd have to think about that. I'm, I'm not sure. But I, in case there's concern, I suggested calling the circuit clerk, or there's a secretary of state hotline as well, a lot of information on the secretary of state's site. We appreciate Secretary Watson for uh, publishing so much information. So it, it, you should be able to get in touch with your circuit clerk's office. Uh, or certainly call that hotline. You go to the Secretary of State's website, look under that Elections and Voting section, you'll see lots of links and information and phone numbers that you can use to get more information. Interesting. So Ben from Madison Informs, uh, Ben, curious, did you attend yesterday the event, the Grip and Grin event in Madison County? where? Chris McDaniel spoke. We talked about that. Lieutenant Governor Hoseman was at the SDI, Steel Dynamics, ribbon-cutting, uh, groundbreaking, what, whatever it was styled, however it was defined, and did not attend the Griffin Grim, but was. it was announced that he was. And so the, the crowd booed, apparently, when Senator Daniel Sparks spoke in his stead on his behalf. Um But, Ben forms. Ted Cruz has endorsed Chris McDaniel. You see anything about that, Rhino? Yeah, he
1: tweeted something out, 1045-ish, 1050-ish. From, Today? Uh, yeah, from at Ted Cruz. Okay. I'm going
2: to keep calling it tweets and Twitter, because X is just silly. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Can't get used to that. I see it on my phone, like, that looks dumb, the big X.
1: But yeah, he tweeted, out, it was at 1050 this morning. It said, now more than ever, we need strong conservative leaders and dedicated fighters, which is why I'm proud to endorse Senator McDaniel for Mississippi Lieutenant Governor. Wow. A conservative champion, defender of life, and staunch advocate of the Second Amendment, McDaniel represents what it means to be a true conservative leader at a time when our values are under attack. Get out and vote next Tuesday to protect the great state of Mississippi and its conservative principles. And it's got a link to, I believe, yeah, a splash page collecting donations for Senator McDaniel.
2: Uh, I see it. I just pulled it up, reading it myself. So there you go. Now, as I recall, Senator McDaniel supported and endorsed and even had a couple of campaign appearances with Senator Ted Cruz during the 2016 presidential election. You remember that, Rhino? That sounds familiar. Yeah, pretty sure. I just I saw some when I was searching that. Uh, I noticed that there were some links to that time period, when uh, going back to fifteen twenty fifteen, that uh, showed the senator, the senators I should say, to, together. And so that's that's interesting. That's um, would seem to be welcome news to. Senator Chris McDaniel, to receive the endorsement of a very powerful, very popular conservative senator. But I I do recall they were campaigning together back in 2015. If somebody can refute that or knows different, please let me know. And, And I found that just by searching for Ted Cruz's name, accompanied by... McDaniel's name. And and I'm looking at a Politico report. Ted Cruz to campaign with establishment foe McDaniel uh, in Mississippi. That That was a Politico report published in 2015, August 5th, 2015. That would be in advance, of course, of the 2016 presidential election. The, the the report uh, here from Politico says, Cruz, who is at constant odds with his party's leadership, did not endorse in the Senate race, but backed McDaniel's calls to investigate the runoff results. You remember that from the 2014 election? But uh, this shows them certainly here together. He swung through the state of Mississippi back in August 2015. I want to say they stopped in Tupelo. Tupelo, you're right. Olive Branch. And the report said McDaniel is expected to accompany him. So this report was just before he visited. But then looking at a report from the New York Times, August 11th. And this shows Ted, Senator Cruz, in, uh, I'm looking at a photo of him here, in Tupelo. He's standing on the back of a truck, of a pickup truck, addressing a crowd there. And looks like, yeah. State Senator Chris McDaniel, who dragged, it says, in the New York Times, Senator Thad Cochran into a primary runoff, worried some Republican leaders that his brand of conservatism may hurt the party's chances of winning the Senate, joined Mr. Cruz for the Mississippi leg of Mr. Cruz's week-long cruise country bus tour. So, uh, it looks like that Senator Ted Cruz is indeed reciprocating in endorsing Senator McDaniel for the office of lieutenant governor. Now whether or not that flips any intentions of voters, not really sure. I I sort of feel like at this point with the election, just about four or five days away, that everybody's made up their mind. I don't know that this will influence one way or another, but that's really something that you get a High-profile national senator jump into the lieutenant governor's race here in Mississippi, at least with an endorsement. We're stepping aside for a break on midday's. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio.
0: Midday's with Gerard. Garrett. What? What? This yeah. is yeah. so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi.
2: We got a vote from Tim from Tupelo says, I'm voting for write-in candidates for governor and lieutenant governor, Gerard and Rhino, this year. Get her done. (laughs) There you go. Let's see. Please remind everyone to check their completed ballot. I voted in Oxford last cycle. I voted for governor when I reviewed vote was changed to democrat candidate corrected it check again check again corrected again this time it's correct told poll worker and got no action says John D in Oxford Hmm So you're saying that the mark sense scanners that's what they're called I'm assuming right you used mark sense forms to fill out your ballot to complete your ballot Or you just pencil in, fill in the little circle? Yes, it's an oval, isn't it? It is on mine. I don't know if they're the same everywhere. I think there are some differences. Okay. But then those are handed to the poll worker who then scans the ballot, inserts it into the scanner, I should say, which then does, in fact, scan it, read the results, displays it. You accept it. Move on. That sound, sounds weird to me, honestly. Those are pretty reliable devices. And, and something else, uh, I would just point out that you're dealing with machines there that um, repeat tasks. If it happens on one, it's going to happen on a lot. So I would be surprised we didn't hear like lots of people say, yeah, they scanned my ballot. And it didn't reflect the way I marked it, so that um, it could have been just you know some sort of crazy anomaly, but it it sounds a little remarkable, sensational, at a minimum. Appreciate you sharing it though. Mike from Grand Bay, Alabama says, "I want what he's smoking." Rhino, I think you should play tequila in memory of Pee Wee. Pee Wee Herman passed away. Right, a couple of days ago. Paul Rubens, yeah. Paul Rubens, yeah. Famously famous Pee Yeah, yeah. Tequila. Well, that's one thing he was famous for. Well, that's true. Oh gosh. Uh, let's he was see.
1: excellent in mystery men.
2: That's true. And you see the before he he converted himself to Pee Wee Herman? You ever seen photos of him? Doesn't even look like him to me.
1: I didn't realize until after his passing with all the <clears throat> the gushing that comes with that of a celebrity passing that Paul Rubens partnered with Phil Hartman to create the character of Pee Wee Herman so it was their brainchild did not know that it makes so much more sense why he was so funny sure does because Paul Rubens is is a funny guy but it's kind (laughs) of like Jim Carrey where it's very slapsticky very physical comedy but then you add that cerebral comedy of Phil Hartman, Phil Hartman.
2: and it, it's just a, a great combination. Uh, maybe my favorite on Saturday, Saturday Night Live in history, Phil Hartman. He was brilliant. He was so awesome and could play so many different characters and so believable, but just laughed the whole time. I mean, I can just think back on many of the skits, and I, I still sometimes, just for the heck of it, I go dial them up on YouTube, you know, and watch them. He's really good. Him and Jan Hooks together were just fantastic. And he was great in Jingle All the
1: Way. Sure is, was. I have to watch that around Christmas every year, <laughs> just because, You I mean, where else are you going to get a movie
2: with Phil Hartman, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Sinbad? Yep, that's true. Um, <clears throat> Chris from Oxford says, they went Buford Pusser on him, talking about the uh, the owners of the C-Store, apparently the owners, they took that stick... And you have learned now that that is a a custom, I guess, customary form of punishment uh, for Sikhs, right? Uh, Those uh, which which is a, I guess, it would be a religion, right? Yeah, faith. Yeah, Uh, found commonly in India. And and you're right, they they are a passive people, but honestly, what are you going to do? Because Whoever the, that person was filming it kept saying, "You can't do a thing about this," and they're right because law enforcement is honestly in Stockton, California, which, as I recall, may have been the first city in the in the country to implement reparations. Do you remember that? It's like three or four years ago, and it wasn't. It was a token amount of money. It was one of those communities around that area, but. This defund the police stuff is off the rails and has caused all kind of problems. It's virtually ruined San Francisco and Seattle. Seattle, I think, kind of the first, the ground zero with the summer of love and all that crap. Remember that? Uh, Mayor Jenny Durkin seems like, oh, everything's cool. (laughs) Remember that? Oh, they did. They went for pusser on them. I encourage you to go look at the video. It's vigilante justice, but it's because you don't have any institutionalized government provided justice. I thought that's what you paid your taxes for. That's like a fundamental responsibility of government, but they have essentially abdicated it in uh, many cities in this country. It's sad. Totally sad. Is the Secretary of State website down? We can't access it. This was at 1055 from Vicky in Clarksdale. Uh, coming up for me, Vicki. Uh,
1: yeah, I just double-checked again. It's working for me.
2: Since I started uh, talking about that and researching my polling information, well, let's see. John and Pontotoc. Says, have him elaborate on helping veterans is just not true. Assume he was talking about Tanner Newman, the uh, candidate for public service commissioner. Apologize, I didn't see that, John. At this point, I would suggest you maybe contact the candidate. Find him on social media and ask that question. You can also call and ask your county clerk. That's right, Karen in Oxford says. Yep, Rhino reminded that as well, if you need to find out more information about your boating place, etc. It was poetic justice to see that man get what he deserved from the C-store owner. I tend to agree. I mean, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, injured physically, but man... (sighs) The alternative, unfortunately, if you don't take that kind of action, is that they just keep hurting other people, because taking their stuff is hurting them. It's not physical harm, but but those are essentially the same. I mean, you're, you are commit serious crime, you're not entitled to it, but the, but un, unfortunately, the left in this country has really promoted this narrative that, oh, well, it's because of all the oppression that they experience. And, they're justified in this action. Well, it's not like the
1: perpetrator it. was unarmed. He appeared to have something in his back yeah, pocket, that he was for brandishing and reaching for Yeah.
2: Democrats now say they never supported defund the police, and if you say they did, you are a racist or a threat to democracy. Says Jerry and and in that Bonnetok, and that uh, there's a lot of truth to that. They have, in fact, denied it, but uh, they they always get. Refuted when people like play the video of this or the soundbite of them actually stating it coming out of their mouth. So that's horse hockey. They're yeah, they're trying to. No, they're trying to. The Democrat talking out of both sides of their mouth. No, (laughs) say it ain't so. Oh my gosh. So John D. says, yeah, the poll worker said they had problems with the machine that day. I I, I guess I don't understand how you didn't get just hordes of people, because certainly, John, you weren't the only one using that machine that reported the the results not reflecting the way they actually completed and marked their ballot. And I, I wonder if any of that got reported to the circuit clerk And then on up to the Secretary of State. Again, I encourage you to look at the Secretary of State's website, find the hotline. They're really good about accepting calls of any sort of voting irregularity that is witnessed uh, or certainly thought to be voting irregularity and doing some investigation on that. So I highly recommend you use those, uh, those resources. That's what they're there for. They're good. Not all precincts had paper ballots last time. We had touchscreen machines, says Moe's. If I'm not mistaken, all precincts have to have paper ballots this year. Is that true? All precincts do? I think there was legislation passed that...
1: Required it? Yeah. Okay. Or at least a paper trail.
2: Yeah. Well, that would be like a ticket or something, right? that's printed by the voting machine if you vote on an electronic machine. Okay. We are taking a break right here on Middays. Half an hour left in Hour 2. And then at 1220, Don Redman, spokesman for AAA Mississippi. Stay with us. I
4: said that time may change me, but I can't trace time. Attention adoring fans! It's time for
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Well Studio. Right. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with country music producer Rick Sanjek, who helped launch the Outlaw Country Music in the 70s, with the likes of Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant, and go to superiorcatfish.com for more info. So, uh, on the ceasefire text line, Bubba in Starkville says, I think Delbert the Democrat is going to get beat. Three issues I have Income tax elimination, opposed it. Mississippi Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund, opposed two years ago, finally voted for it. Cost the fund millions of dollars. Appointed Democrats to 16 committees. His excuse is not enough Republicans to chair. Weak excuse Assign multiple committees to Republicans. Thanks, Bubba. Well, appreciate you uh, chiming in there, Bubba, and sharing your concerns. I, I, I'll start with number one, income tax elimination. And I know we have discussed this at length on the program, but I think it's worthy of continuous discussion because it's such a whole high-profile issue and it's it's one of those that I think it's fair to say you wouldn't expect uh, an income tax related measure to pass one chamber in this case the House of Representatives by an overwhelming margin, be transmitted to the Senate and not get any traction. That's that's unusual, especially. Let me back up. Considering both have have uh, supermajority Republican control. All right. So, and the governor made it clear. You remember, in his State of the Union address, and and um, and, and just his discussing his vision when he first took office, which it, of course occurred before his State of the State, my bad, State of the State address, that he he discussed income tax elimination as a high priority. There's no secret there. But I, I find it. I guess at least debatable as to whether or not Delbert Hoseman could be exclusively attributed for blocking the income tax elimination bill. But, but I, I want to go into the bigger question, and I apologize for repeating this, but this is a question for you, Baba. Is it your belief that income tax elimination, the bill transmitted by the House, would eliminate the income tax totally upon passage in that year, immediately? Make it effective immediately that year? Because, again, just for clarification, that's not what it did. It did increase the personal exemption. That's the amount that reduces your gross income, along with some other deductions. But the personal exemption is typically the largest state tax deduction that reduces your gross income (laughs) to compute your taxable income. And then your taxable income is stepped up through the brackets. We only have two in Mississippi, a 4% and a 5%. 4% 4% is on all income between 5000 and 10000. The first 5000 is is tax free, zero. And then all income, real simple in Mississippi, all income, taxable income, taxable income over 10000 taxed at 5%. So what the original bill did, passed by the house it increased the sales tax in Mississippi by one point five percent. It it uh, reduced the grocery tax, the sales tax on groceries, to four percent. It phased that out over. I want to say it's like five years, something like that, right now. Remember, it's like quarter point increments in there. There was a schedule that was in the the bill, but the bottom line is you'd end up with a four percent sales tax on groceries, an increase of one point five percent. In general, on on uh, taxable sales, this significant increase in the personal exemption, roughly eighty k, with the standard deduction as well, re- roughly eighty k, for uh, married filing joint, forty k for individual taxpayers, and then there were triggers based on inflation, or increase in spending allowed, essentially, uh, in the ensuing years. And any revenue above that figure, those figures, again, applied to a baseline, which was like the 2022 6-point-something-or-another-billion-dollar budget, 6.2, I believe, roughly. And so in in the subsequent years, once the initial increase in personal exemption would be implemented, That personal exemption would increase if revenues exceeded. This is kind of a simple way to describe it. If revenues collected by the state exceeded the baseline year of 22 is what it was in this case. Actually, I think it was 23 because the bill was 22, but 23. The baseline spending plus the lower of 1.5 percent or the difference in the CPIU in that year times the CPI. Minus the CPIU of the initial year, and I know this is getting really crazy wonky, but that literally is what's in the bill, and it's the 1.5 percent. By the way, is multiplied by the number of years since 2023. So if you just think about, you got uh, a budget, and you expect just based on inflation that every year you're going to have to spend more money, state government. So here's your here's your initial year in the next year, you expect to have to spend more money just based on inflation. Not an increase of appropriations to cover more cost, more programs, uh, more more spending that would be enacted by law or regulation, but no, just to cover inflation. Keep everything the same, we're just going to increase it by inflation. Any revenue that's over that adjusted figure, the Department of Revenue would then be uh, responsible for figuring out how much the exemption could increase. Literally, that's how it works. To essentially consume the revenue in excess of the adjusted spending. Simple example: You spend a thousand bucks one year. The next year, you can you can uh, spend a a thousand one, $1 hundred and fifty dollars and any amount you collect over that you're going to increase the income tax exemption to essentially consume that excess meaning your taxes go down that was the plan it was estimated that take 12 to 16. Ten to twelve years. I thought I thought twelve to sixteen, and just doing some math on it. But ten to twelve years, if ever it occurred. And then you get to a point. There's a provision in there where you've consumed all the excess revenue, and it just it ends the income tax. When you, if you ever get to that point. But what it does initially is it, it takes a lot of people off the tax rolls, because you increase the standard exemption personal exemption, pardon me, the personal exemption, you increase that substantially as it did in year one, a lot of people would just no longer be, their tax would be eliminated, no longer pay tax. In fact, most in Mississippi, but not all. So it's not exactly fully eliminating the income tax in year one, it just phases it in based on these revenue targets, and that's estimate was estimated to take by economists, that's uh, how the House did that. They they engaged economists for that analysis 10 to 12 years. Um, assuming, you know, everything lines up perfectly, which you can't do. So it, it's just worth noting that when you hear the candidates talk about eliminating the income tax, it, it'd be virtually impossible. I'm going to say it is impossible to do that, and, and still sustain the state from a financial perspective in one fell swoop in one year. That not can't, can't do it. And by the way, think about this original bill where it was estimated to take 10 to 12 years. That's with an increase in the sales tax. Without it, you're looking at a much longer period of time. And that's because the income tax comprises almost a third of total state revenue. And you're talking about gutting a third of your revenue in, in one action. That'd be pretty hard. Now, I know folks out there say, well, we can just cut spending, but a third? A third's a big number. That'd be tough. Education, corrections, Medicaid, that's 75% of our spending. A third of that? That'd be a tall order. Don't see that happen. I haven't seen anybody propose that, by the way. We're coming right back. Final segment in Hour 2 of Middays. Stay with us.
0: Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back. On Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Okay, so I remember when that was popular. I'm gonna guess. I want you to look it up. I promise I'm not looking. Um, 73. Did I get it? You did. Ding, 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 ding. I almost said 72. And and here's how I remembered. <laughs> I know this is crazy. It was a girl I was dating. <laughs> Back then, and she loved that song. And I was thinking, let's see, how old was I when I was dating (laughs) her? But I do remember seeing them, you know, your mind, just is funny, how it can just keep visions of stuff in it. It's really fascinating. Perform on American Bandstand. I mean, we we gathered around the TV, you know, my generation, every Saturday to watch the... uh, permanent teenager, as we used to call him, whatever they call him, the ageless, right, Dick Clark, it was fun. And it was uh, always featured bands of the music that was popular of the day, and they perform. Yeah, mm. and that's one of those that it's an example of something
1: that doesn't happen very often nowadays, where a band just keeps grinding, keeps putting out music, keeps performing, keeps touring, and finally gets a hit. Because if I'm not mistaken, that was off their fourth or fifth
2: album. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, that's the only song I could tell you they ever did. And they were Native Americans. That was oh, their deal. Yeah. That's why they're called Red Bone. And you wouldn't think you'd see, for some reason, Native Americans performing rock music, but I thought it was pretty cool. And it's a good song. It's a catchy tune. But yeah, they performed on American Bandstand.
1: Ha! Yeah, it was their fifth album. Golly. They had self-titled Redbone in 1970, Potlatch in 1970, Message from a Drum in 71, already here in 72, and it wasn't until Wovoka
2: in 73 wow. that they had their first chart topper. Wow. That is fascinating. Didn't know. So, on the c text line, Reese in Clarksdale asks, is, is there an age limit in Mississippi where you were state- Income tax exempt. It's not, it's not an age, um, Reese. It is the source of the income, retirement income in general. Social Security benefits, IRA, 401K, qualified pension, exempt from income tax in the state of Mississippi. And this was one of the concerns, probably, I would say, the group that expressed the most concerns about the original tax elimination bill. Now, this is what's fascinating to me, is that many of those same people, Rhino, support Chris McDaniel, and that's fine, except they will indicate that elimination of the income tax was a major distinction between him and Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, yet they're already exempt from income tax. Now, I'd like to think that's because they have concerns about the state overall, And they think that eliminating the income tax would be good, a good move for the state of Mississippi. However, when the bill was passed by the House, even being deliberated by the House, the 1.5% sales tax increase drew the ire, shall we say, from those retired in the state of Mississippi. They saw, well, geez, I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm already exempt, my income is, from income tax. You're going to lap on a 1.5% increase in sales tax? Well, heck, that's a net loss to me. Except I would encourage folks uh, at that point to consider the reduction of the grocery tax, sales tax on groceries. So there's a bit of an offset, and I, I did some modeling there. The average retiree, based on averages reported of income to retired folks in Mississippi, it may have cost them a hundred bucks a year, maybe. And I, I guess the question is: is is um, incurring a hundred dollar additional tax to those that are retired, is that worth it to see substantial tax reduction to their children or their grandchildren who were? Perhaps working or will be working. I mean, it's a trade-off sort of deal, but it's a problem in that we have this that policy that law that's been in place for a long time exempting retirement income, and so if you want to eliminate the income tax in some sort of reasonable period of time, you're gonna to have to find another source of revenue. Just are, and and that comes from sales tax because that that funds. Well, that comprises the vast majority of revenue uh, in the state of Mississippi to fund state operations, the general fund, Uh, cover general fund expenses. And it's just a tough deal, man, eliminating that income tax without increasing sales tax. You could certainly do it, and you could establish inflation index triggers to do it, to accomplish it, but you're looking at decades, if you're lucky. Point is, it's kind of moot, honestly, talking about the income tax elimination, unless you're willing, I believe, to bite the bullet and do what the House initially passed, which still would make our overall sales tax burden less than all of our neighboring states and less than the states who don't have an income tax. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News here. And we're taking a break. Coming right back. Welcome back everyone! It is middays. We are in the Element Well studio on this Friday Eve. So Ken from Pearl's a little bit out of shape. What'd I do there? What the heck is that all about? Not being hitched. You praise Ted Cruz of Texas for participating in the Mississippi Republican primary for McDaniel. No, I didn't say that. I didn't, I didn't praise him at all. I, what I said was that the senator, I'm sure, welcomes the endorsement. Did I not? Yep. I used the word welcomes. But at Neshoba Fair last week, you castigated the Democrats for using out-of-state signage. No, it wasn't out-of-state. Oh, oh, you're talking about the maker of the signs? Yeah, we we uh, we took issue with the fact that the signs used for... Brandon Presley's campaign for governor, a Democrat, clearly marked, labeled, imprinted on the signs, was the maker of the signs, and it... uh, With language that would be consistent with communism. Right. Yeah. Sure. We noticed that. We called attention to that. No apologies for doing so. You and Rhino couldn't control your laughter. You talk about the Democrats talking out of both sides of their mouths, but you and Rhino just did the same. How's that? Because we simply reported, we shared on the show, that a powerful sitting U.S. senator endorsed a candidate for lieutenant governor? I'd say that's newsworthy. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, I also noted that Senator McDaniel... Endorsed Senator Cruz in his run for president in 2016, that they campaigned together. You recalled him being in Tupelo. And the minute you said that, I pulled an article up that had him on the back, the, the flatbed part of a truck, speaking in Tupelo. I mean, that's just fact. I mean, there's nothing there. And by the way, even though I stated early on, made a pledge that I would remain neutral on this particular race. I don't have to. I can can support whomever the heck I want. Nobody here in this building that runs this place has said, you will support this person. You will support that person. Help me out. Is this true?
1: Yeah, nobody tells us who to support.
2: This is an opinion show. And you hear a disclaimer right before it airs. That being said, I made the personal decision. And I can tell you that both sides <laughs> have expressed their concerns, and that's fine. That's to be expected. But I, I've got nothing to apologize for, nothing to hide, whatsoever. I have uh, at least attempted you may not agree to objectively analyze the campaigns, the candidates. We got the question about the ballot initiative, which, of course, is a high-profile matter to many voters. And we have have uh, shared and conveyed the distinction and positions on that particular issue between those two candidates. And, Rhino, you, you've heard them. They've been on our air discussing that that very issue do you feel like that I captured that accurately? Yeah. Okay. Just want want to make sure I wasn't hearing things or or embellishing the truth. I certainly didn't attempt to. I feel like we reported that spot on, consistent with what the candidates themselves have said about that and many other issues. Now, I'll also say that with respect to this t- uh, income tax elimination issue, Senator McDaniel has certainly. He's campaigned on that as a priority. And when I asked him about it at Neshoba last week, do you recall, Rhino, he, he did say something about, paraphrasing a bit here, about being careful, being thoughtful, let's put it that way, thoughtful, in any sort of measure to eliminate the income tax. And what he was saying was that, yeah, we've got to look at how to index it for inflation. Do you remember him saying that last week, Rhino? Okay, so I haven't gone back and listened to it, but I do recall at the moment the senator said that. So I think he was trying to clarify that, yeah, this isn't something you can just go in and do in year one and make it effective. Year one, no more income tax. That's um, he, he realizes that's not possible. Now, on the other hand, I think it's accurate to say that Lieutenant Governor Hoseman, he hasn't really spoken a lot about Eliminating the income tax as a as an agenda priority, he has in fact discussed what he thought was a win for the people of Mississippi in the tax reform that was enacted, which eliminated the three percent bracket and will pull the four uh, percent. Pardon me, the five down to four. Did I say that right? The 4% bracket eliminated. The 5% is reduced to 4 over 3 years. It's a 4-year plan, essentially, 4%, which is out this year, this tax year. So when you file your return for 24, your first $10,000 of taxable income, that's actually after you deduct your personal exemption and standard deduction, your first $10,000 of taxable income is exempt from income tax. So it it represents a $200 savings because it's a 4% bracket on 5000 of income so uh thomas and greenwood said didn't you work to get the 4% bracket eliminated as a compromise well when we saw thomas that the uh the initial bill got so much pushback that that bill the one that would have significantly increased the personal exemption uh, as, an, as a way to eliminate the income tax, but as an offsetting measure, increase sales tax. That got lots of pushback, and so went back to the drawing board to try to get something done, something that could pass both chambers, get to the governor's desk, and so we came up with that as an alternative. You recall many times, and Rhino, I think you would attest to this, I described it as a down payment on income tax full elimination. Oh, yeah. and Because I did feel like that. We're not done here, guys. We've got to still keep working towards this, and I would fully support a measure to do so, but I'm also realistic about it, and that you can't just gut the revenue by a third in, in a single year and say, okay, all is good, and the biggest thing that you want to guard against is what happened in Kansas. They they did, they took drastic action to reduce, eliminate their income tax, and then came back and said, uh-oh, that's too much. We gotta reverse some of that. And every dang Democrat across the nation, when you start talking about reducing the tax burden, they point to Kansas. Kansas, Kansas, Kansas. You hear it in Washington. Can't do it, Kansas did. You've heard of that. You rhino, I use Kansas. The Kansas experiment, they call it, or some garbage like that. Well, Kansas, I would say, um, I just didn't think through it. It was not thoughtful, their approach. It was not methodical. Thomas says, so if I'm not mistaken, tax elimination failure is tied around Delbert's neck. No, actually, Thomas, it's tied around a lot of people's neck, including people who didn't want to see... The sales tax increased. A lot of people objected to that, and that was really the only way to eliminate the income tax in a short period of time, the only way that it was attainable. The, the compromise that came back out of that, uh, as you recall, changed the indexing feature and the indexing provisions. It did not increase the sales tax. It did still increase tear down the, the sales tax on groceries, but it made the cities whole, which means that the state in that case, if you think about it, you're losing revenue by reducing or eliminating the income tax over a long period of time, but certainly you're reducing it along the way. Plus, you've gutted a lot of the revenue to the municipalities, and you've got to make them whole out of the reduced revenue. And therefore, the elimination model was a long time. I just want to point out, as, as big a proponent as I am of eliminating the income tax, that the, the plans to do so were not immediate. They were phased in over a period of time, and the original plan that offset with sales tax could phase it in at a much faster rate than a plan without those offsetting revenue provisions. It just takes a long time to hit the targets, because you're relying you're relying uh, on solely on the increase in sales tax to do so. That's what it comes from. The theory being, well, if people have more money in their pocket, they, they're going to go out and spend it, generate sales tax, but that's 7% of the additional dollars they got in their pocket. It's not 100%. Follow me there. We're stepping aside for a break right here on Middays. Don Redmond, spokesman for AAA Mississippi, will join us next. back, everyone. Middays from the Element Well Studio. It's a hot one out there, folks. Drink plenty of uh, liquid water, preferably, and stay cool as you can. Joining us now, Don Redman, spokesman for AAA Mississippi. Hey, Don. Hey. Hi. How are you? Doing great. So give us an update. Gas prices uh, have been trending upward now for a while, and of course, the price of oil by the barrel up again over $80. Oil is always one of the interesting commodities to track because I guess that's why we have buyers and sellers, half the people say it's going higher, half the people say it's coming down. And uh, uh so I don't know. What what uh, what are you hearing? What do you think how's this affecting uh summer travel?
4: Yeah, certainly we have all seen the prices going up this summer. I mean just Just when we thought it was safe to go back to the beach here, the price is climbing back up again. In fact, we're up about 37 cents in Mississippi from where we were a month ago. So it's definitely the upward trend. As you mentioned, it has almost everything to do with the price of crude, which and June was selling for $67 a barrel. Now, today, it's $81 a barrel. Uh, and, and unfortunately, it could potentially go up more as, uh, or particularly Saudi Arabia announced, they're going to continue cutting back in production. Yeah. So there's reports that there may be a, a, uh, a, a downward push on the uh, inventories of crude oil. In other words, we've seen a decrease in inventory. So if you're, you know, it's very possible as suddenly as consumers, we're going to be in a situation where we have decreased production of gasoline, decreased production of oil, and all of a sudden, uh, we can see those prices really start climbing. Yeah. And, of
2: course, uh, a a big factor in in the price of oil seems to be the consumption, the demand from China. Oil, of course, a global commodity. And still unclear as to whether or not China is is back to pre-pandemic Uh, Demand levels, uh, whether or not they're going to get there in any period of time. I've seen some recent reports that their GDP is actually suffering, that uh, the economy in China, even though most are back to work, they're not as shut down as they were with the very uh, COVID uh, precautions. But it seems like they're still not up to it. If that were to happen, I think we'd see oil go up to 100
4: bucks. Yeah, I mean, it's very possible, depending on how the economy not only in the United States but as you mentioned global economy does as to what direction the oil is going to be in and and as you mentioned you know the price of crude is is uh, determined by people's confidence in the economy you know when prices are 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 going down they're called investors when prices are going up they're called speculators yeah. it's the same people <laughs> but right. but uh, you know they're trying to They're trying to guess what the economy is going to do. And and when we talk about China's economy slowing down, it's relative to their uh, growth versus ours. Like, for example, our GDP is at 2.4%. A downward uh, growth for China is over 6%. I mean, they're typically used to 10%. And so when their growth is at 6%, we go, oh, my gosh, their economy is faltering. But that's still some significant growth compared to what we're seeing in the U.S.
2: Yeah. Well, and it, so what about the the narrative of the conflict in Ukraine, the war between Ukraine and Russia? Is that still playing a part in supply?
4: Oh, sure, it, it, it is largely because uh, Europe has halted its purchases of petroleum from Russia. So they're getting from the US and, and elsewhere. And probably India, which is getting it from Russia. And, yeah. You know, but but it's a backdoor deal on that. But it's definitely having an impact. And it's also though, kept the price of crude where uh the president has felt it's too expensive to try to replenish the uh the uh uh, strategic supply and that's so that's a big concern we're seeing uh, again a drop in inventories accrued crude. uh the, the president's recently announced hey we're not going to replen- replenish that strategic uh, petroleum right now reserve meanwhile china is is absolutely filling up their strategic uh, petroleum reserve so uh it's these are really uncharted times right now and what that could spell in the near future is unknown of course yeah so what about the what about the
2: summer travel what's the volume been like
4: Well we had a very robust summer travel up through about 4th of July and almost coinciding with the prices going up, we saw uh, travelers start curtailing some. Uh, some of it is, is just the fact that it's been so hot, people haven't been traveling. Yeah. Now, I know it sounds ridiculous, but but it does have uh, an impact on, on travel. Uh, so these fuel prices are even the increases that we've seen come out of time. We've actually seen a decrease in demand, hmm. uh, and that's typical for that time of, as we hit to the fall seen a decrease but to have prices going in the opposite direction thats usually uh, that's unusual until say october or november when refineries make that shift from a summer grade gasoline to a winter grade gasoline
2: yeah yeah just it it seems to me like uh, i guess just talking to you know my contemporaries that they have uh, got really after it around the memorial day period and then sort of pull back after after then. Is that and at that point the price of fuel was a good bit lower than it is today. I mean the the um increases oh, all yeah. occurred I mean, in the it last was, month. It was under
4: yeah, absolutely. Uh in the early part of the summer and all it was under $3 a gallon in Mississippi. So yeah, it was really good times in, until just recently and that we've seen those prices going up. Uh but you know, school's going to be starting uh, in the next week or so in, yep. in certain areas of the state and, and onward that uh that's typically when you start seeing demand decrease. And so hopefully and some of the refineries too had cut back because of the heat, believe it or not, had an impact in refining refining process. Hmm. So typically in July, you would see refineries at 98 percent capacity. They were more like at 92 percent capacity. But that's starting to build back up. But you had uh, swaths of the country they were experiencing w- with their refineries experiencing brownouts and blackouts, all that related to the heat. So there's a lot of factors right now that was that was uh, contributing to higher prices.
2: Yeah. My uh don my family have enjoyed uh AAA membership for for many years and have found it uh valuable and useful. How's it going? What's what's the membership uh like these days?
4: Yeah, it's really good. People see the value in our membership and that has really helped uh you know even in these tough times uh, they realize that just that price of that membership uh usually covers the cost of one toe uh but when we look at especially during the summer we have dead batteries flat tires lockouts some of our, our top three calls for services um, and and people see the value in that not only in that but at your membership you can use your membership at certain hotels and restaurants get some uh, saving discounts there as well so it's not just the roadside assistance, so that, you know, that's what we hang our hat on, uh, yeah. but also uh, home and auto insurance and other discounts as well. Yeah, I had
2: a, I had a battery incident. I traveled to Gulf Shores on a golf trip and showed up late because I had a battery problem, uh, but was able to uh, use my AAA membership, and, and they had somebody come out and had to replace the whole battery, as a matter of fact. But I don't know what I'd have <laughs> done if I'd didn't have just a convenient number to call to make that happen, with your partners, of course, in the area that uh, they right. came out and took care of it. So is there any legislation, uh, Don, that AAA is uh, advocating for you'd like to see become law at either the state or the federal level?
4: Well, a couple of things that we want to look at and trying to find some lawmakers that will support us is, is kind of we need to start retooling and tightening up the what we call the graduated driver's licensing program. That's for the young drivers. Mississippi ranks number one in the nation in terms of teen fatalities wow. caused by teen drivers. Wow. So this is really something just trying to get more more time, more experience behind the wheel more uh, before they get their full license. And I think that's something we really need to address. And, and also we also need to consider looking at legislation that uh, encourages people to put that phone down when they're behind the wheel. You know, distracted driving is an extremely uh, potent issue. Uh, you are impaired when you are on your phone. And as we as we know, it's not just talking on your phone. People are doing so much crazy things like FaceTiming, watching videos, filming uh, videos, all kind of foolishness. Uh, and so we're looking at maybe find some sponsors that will curtail drivers' use of that phone while they're driving.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Well, I know lots of states have, have uh, enacted legislation to that effect. Uh, you know, we have uh, the colonel. Uh, or the captain from uh, the Mississippi Highway Patrol on the program a lot. I'm always astonished uh, when Captain Turnipseed tells us about the number of citations issued for people that don't have their seatbelt on. I mean, it's like hundreds on a weekend. It's just kind of uh, shocking. uh, How do we rank relative to the rest of the country in that statistic? Do we have more
4: you know i'm not i'm not quite sure but certainly uh especially you know we don't have any uh requirements on on passengers in the back of a pickup yeah. truck or anything like that i mean so I, i'm not sure where our ranking is but uh i assure you it's it's a it's a big issue and and i think that's something that the mississippians need to address and face the fact that yeah a belt is not a guarantee you survive a crash but it increases your likelihood of survival by 50% and then we you know we don't want to talk about the children they they shouldn't have an option they should absolutely be buckled in. But uh, that's an issue we hope to. It comes with education, but as well as enforcement.
2: Don, appreciate you joining us today and giving us a report from AAA. Don Redman the spokesman for AAA Mississippi. Thanks a lot, Don. Thank you. Enjoyed it. We're coming right back with more here in the Element Well Studio. Half an hour left. Stay with us. <laughs>
0: with Gerard Gibbert. It is on on Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: request line there, right? Little tequila in honor of the late Pee Wee Hermit. So, uh, let's see, Bob and Starville says, we'd love for you to to explain, oh, Delbert playing both sides of the fence, raise sales tax. Who will this mostly benefit? Tax-paying Republicans. With a supermajority in it, an, any and every bill that benefits this group should be passed. We put them up there. I, so you're suggesting, Bubba, that only Republicans pay sales taxes? Is there some exemption for Democrats? How do they know? Because you don't register as a with a party affiliation in Mississippi. I'm not sure I'm getting that. Not sure what's and, and unless there's a I guess a uh, implic an implication that those who are Democrats in our state earn less income and therefore are less subject to income tax.
1: Seems like that would be the presumption.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't buy that. Honestly, Bubba, that had nothing to do with it. the The concern. I've talked to the Lieutenant Governor about it and members of the Senate. Their chief concern was that the surpluses the state was generating, I'm just passing on the message here. This was their concern. You may disagree or agree with it. That we were experiencing significant surpluses in the wake of the pandemic, and it is true to a great extent that was due to the federal money sent to the states. Significant money, which just lapped onto our debt, just to put it in perspective, folks. When Donald Trump took office, we had 19 trillion dollars of debt. We're at 32 trillion now. Seven trillion of that addition is attributed to six trillion and change. Donald Trump. While he's president. I'm not saying he personally created it. But the fact is, in this country, we do attach those figures to the president. Whether they had personally anything to do with it or not. They could have even opposed the legislation. Was it Truman that famously said, the buck stops with me? Right. That's how we operate. And I'm not arguing with that concept. But And it was Democrats, to be honest. It was Democrats and Republicans overwhelmingly that supported the gigantic CARES Act and the Coronavirus Relief Act. I can't remember the exact formal name of the bill. That was the first one, right out of the chute. It was a trillion bucks. And that was followed up with a $2.1 trillion um, CARES Act. And then you had massive amount of bond buying from the Fed, which by the way, adds to the debt. So it's not just legislation and spending, but when you're when you're essentially uh, funding the government with printed money, the government selling bonds to the Fed, or the Fed is buying those bonds from the Treasury so as to inject liquidity in the system, that adds to our debt. Literally, the Fed is owed by the Treasury. It's the way it works. And that's kind of a hard concept to to wrap your head around. Uh, But, yeah, that's where we stand right now. Now, yeah, Bubba says, yes, he does believe that Democrats in general, have a lower tax burden in the state of Mississippi because their incomes are lower. I don't know. I've never seen any such analysis. I wouldn't know what to say about that. But not, not for a minute, do I think. And so the point I'm trying to make about all the debt being added at the federal level, which is largely because of all the money sent to the states and individuals and counties and cities, as a matter of fact. Good grief. How many times on the program, Ronald, we talked to to um, members of the House and Senate, state leaders, as well as municipal leaders, county leaders, how are you doing on all this money they're sending your way? So that continued under Joe Biden. And that was honestly a big part of why we were producing surpluses in the, in the uh, state. A billion dollar one just two years ago, and it's $700 million this year. So the question is, of the surplus we're producing, how much of that is a result? of all the federal helicopter money, how much of it is systemic? That we've just successfully grown the economy and been prudent in our spending, and we're able to produce these surpluses. Well, that's that's a complicated economic exercise. That's not something you can do down there at the legislature on a chalkboard, I can assure you. There's a gazillion inputs into that. So there was concerns on the part, that's the point, of the Lieutenant Governor and some senators that this is not permanent, this is not systemic, and if we got this revenue, we could find ourselves in a, in a pickle in not being able to pay our bills, not being able to fund government, really, at least at the current level. And that's why they held off. That's why I supported the original house plan, because it, to a great extent, eliminated that risk, but, but, but even so, the increase in the sales tax, that was not a dollar-for-dollar dollar offset of the amount of, of revenue cut from the income tax elimination. Even in the early going, which didn't fully eliminate it, as we said, it was going to happen over an extended period of time, but it did, in fact, reduce the tax burden significantly fact, as I said, based on the median household income in the state of Mississippi, and you look compare that to the increase in the personal exemption in year one, well, that means since it's higher than the median income, and the median means half the people make more than that and half the people make less than that, well, that means that more than half the people who who had been paying taxes in the state of Mississippi, if that bill would have been enacted into law, the very next year would have not paid any income tax. That's just statistical fact. And so there was concerns about that. It had nothing to do with Republican, Democrat, or who makes this and makes that. Nothing to do with that. So I, I would encourage you to think about that differently. Uh, Bubba, uh, that's, that, that wasn't the root cause there. I identify as a non-sales tax paying sexual, says Jim and Starkville, <laughs> because then people that pay no income tax and actually get money back would be paying national sales tax. National sales tax? Well, that's a
1: continuation from an earlier question. Uh-oh. It says, I have a question. Oh, How okay. much would a national sales tax need to be percentage-wise? To eliminate the federal income tax.
2: Yeah, so uh, that was actually a bill that was... Uh, it, it's, it's been discussed for years, the so-called fair tax, which is a consumption tax, an elimination of the income tax. The answer is, Paul, and it actually doesn't totally cover it, 23%. That's the answer. 23%. Which, by the way, the hardcore Freedom Caucus people, That this is their bill. And remember in exchange for support of Kevin McCarthy, that was one of their requirements. You will allow the, uh, the fair tax bill to be considered. And it did, and it got killed. And it's, by the way, it's one of the things that Trump blasts DeSantis about. We talked about his ad, the taxes, right? It's the pejorative he used. Because years ago this came up. And it is true. Ron DeSantis did support that concept. Now, a lot of people would have to really take a hard look at their individual situation. It's way more complicated when you talk about federal taxes than state taxes, which are considerably simpler. We only have two brackets and don't have all the other crazy deductions and credits and stuff that you do at the federal level, so you'd have to really take a hard look. But the the fact is, is... 50% 50% uh, of the households in this country, 475 to be exact, taxpayers, not households, taxpayers, paid no federal income tax last year. So you're talking about telling that half of the country, by the way... You're not getting any benefit from this eliminating the federal income tax, but your sales tax is going up. Now, there is this provision that sends them a rebate. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. And it pre-bate. prebates what it's called. This is the, and it literally is a check. This is crazy from the IRS, as it would be, to cover some of your sales tax based on your income. It's just had no chance. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of the structure. I'm a fan of the concept, not the structure of it. But I hope that answered your question there, Paul. It's, it's a good question. How the lieutenant governor justified a large number of Democrat-appointed uh, chairmanships? I will discuss that on the other side of the break. It's the final segment. We should also ask the same question of prior Republican lieutenant governors because Phil Bryant did it, Tate Reeves did it. I don't understand why nobody said anything about it. Then why is that all of a sudden a big issue? We're coming right back. Final segment on midday. Stay with us.
0: Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. The Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Uh.
2: Yes, that's right, Paul. That would be $0.30. Cents. I think it actually works out to $0.31 cent on the dollar. But yeah, you're right. That's exactly right. And so the left loves to talk about the right, not the right, the most successful in society not paying their fair share. They just got to start to pay it. And I don't know if you guys heard this. I Conveyed it on the show a couple of weeks ago, but uh, recent statistics published. I mean, I get this from federal government sites, by the way. I don't make this stuff up. From the Department of Treasury and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's where most of this information is found. The top 1% paid more tax dollars than the bottom 95%. Wrap your head around that. The top 1%. They fund the dang country. That's just the truth. Especially when you got you got forty seven point five percent of the households or the taxpayers, not households, because there is a difference, not paying any income taxes, federal income taxes. We're talking about. So the question about the appointing uh, Democrats. I know this is a big deal to a lot of people. I I don't find it to be that big a deal. Here's why. About half of those committees got no bills. I do think we have too many committees. I did pose that question to both candidates, and they both said that they could support taking a look at that. It's, it's too many. We have 45 committees. It's ridiculous. We have 52 senators, 45 committees. So, I've yet to see anybody say because we had Democrat chair. I, I look at it how did this really how did this affect? I, I get the concern. I get the objection. I understand. T- totally respect that. But what did it cause? Good or bad? in In this case, if you're a Republican and you're uh, mad about that, you would say, well, this produced bad outcomes. Well, specifically what? Were there bills that you would like to have seen passed that were killed by a committee chairman as a Democrat? Were there bills that passed, which would be which would mean that more Republicans supported the bill, passed out of committee, I'm talking about, to floor, because every committee has a majority of Republicans. So even though you have a Democrat chair, about the only thing that could happen is if somehow the Democrat chair said, we're just not putting that bill up. If I don't like it, we're not putting it up. Can somebody give me site bill numbers where that happened? Have you seen that, Rhino? We've asked this before. Now, could it happen? Sure. Is that a risk? Sure. So is it better then to, re- to appoint, I guess, Democrats in this case, according to the lieutenant governor, because he didn't have enough Republicans? That's what he said on the show, send me more Republicans. What about appointing Republicans to m- multiple committee chairs? Is that that would be the alternative. That's what you'd have to do. Is that the best scenario, situation? I maintain the best situation is get rid of a bunch of them damn committees we don't need. Some of those could be subcommittees underneath the primary, the well, headline I mean, committee.
1: At Neshoba, you asked the Lieutenant Governor that very thing, and he said if you double them up, then you're, you're not going to get as good leadership. Right.
2: It's not Participation. Going, he was worried about that. they having to
1: split their attention
2: between two different committees. I know, I will say this, members I've talked to on both sides of the aisle have said it's hard to get to all the committees. I mean, if you look at all the committees, even if you're a chairman, you still are on other committees. Oh, yeah. It's hard to get to all that. It's a little easier in the House because you've got about the same number of committees, but you've got more than double the number of members. So in the Senate, you end up with more committee assignments, typically, not necessarily. But if you go out and look at the committees associated with a member in the Senate, you'll see that they're a chair or vice chair, and you'll see five or six others that are listed on. And guys, have you ever been down there while they're in session? And right about the time, I mean, they have the agenda already prepared and scheduled before the roll call. but Gosh, you'll you'll see various members be recognized sometimes, or perhaps the speaker or lieutenant governor, whoever's presiding over the chamber at that point in time, will start discussing. Hey, don't forget, even though we're adjourning here in the in the big session, uh, the general session, don't forget we got this committee meeting here, this committee meeting. I mean, it's just a laundry list of them. So, and I'm not I'm not trying to defend the lieutenant governor's action here. I'm just I'm just saying that. There's a little nuance there, and to me, the fundamental problem is it's just too many committees. Especially when you see five or six to get zero, and some to get one, two. And in a couple of these committees, like the Labor Committee is the one that comes to mind, that Senator Horn chairs, a Democrat, it was like 12 bills and every one of them died. And like nine of the 12 were to increase the minimum wage. It's just different Democrat senators saying, increase the minimum wage. So, of course, those are going to die because the committee is comprised primarily of Republicans who oppose increasing the minimum wage. So, sure, put it up on the floor. and Not on the floor, but put it on the committee table. It ain't getting to the floor. But they can still go back to their constituents and say, look, I fought for an increase in the minimum wage. I mean, that's how the games play. You guys know that. We are out of here today. We thank you so much for joining us back in the Element Well studio tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless.